Fantastic. Thanks, Alana. Can I just say, look, I really, I really love you guys, but you really got to work on your trumpets, all right? So, uh, but uh, well done. Good attempt. And uh, it just helps us to understand that um, John's vision uh, is very sensory. He sees stuff, he hears stuff, he smells stuff, uh, he tastes stuff. So uh, very sensory. Keep your Bibles open there as we uh, hook into those first two chapters. There's an outline of where we're going as well. But uh, I thought I'd just um, also um, just open in prayer, just again uh, looking at Chapter 1, verse 3, reminding us of the, of the amazing promise that God gives us uh, here tonight as we uh, read this word and take it to heart. So uh, thank you, Father. You do promise that blessed is anyone who reads the words of this prophecy. Uh, blessed are those who hear this word, who take it to heart, uh, because you tell us the time of your son's return is near. So please, please have mercy. Help us to hear and attend to your word to really take to heart what is written here this evening. Amen. Well, I'm wondering if you've ever been given a warning that has uh, saved you from making a, a mistake. Maybe um, someone's taken the trouble, uh, a caring lecturer, to warn you uh, and you to save you from failing an exam. Uh, maybe you've been saved from uh, another peril, uh, maybe even saved from death. Now, I don't know about you, but when I've received uh, warnings like this, at times um, it's not nice, uh, and it's only usually afterwards uh, that you sort of appreciate and you're thankful that you got the warning, and uh, also the trouble and the effort that that person went to warn you. Uh, I've got a, a photo here. And uh, this is a photo of a recent accident. Uh, you've probably heard about this. Uh, wife, mother, big-hearted friend, Nicole Tucker, in her early 40s. She was just uh, waiting to turn right off the Southern Expressway when uh, a ute travelling at over 160 kilometres an hour, driven by a 15-year-old uh, student from Unley High, uh, ploughed into her and uh, killed her. Uh, obviously, you can see the car went up in flames. Um, the funeral was delayed because uh, of what happened. The car caught fire and it took 10 days uh, to verify uh, Nicole from dental records that it actually was Nicole Tucker. Uh, I was talking with Dan Pete. Um, they uh, used to come here and the kids still come to youth on Friday night and I was, he was just sharing how uh, shocked uh, his wife Helen was because uh, she played netball with Nicole, knew the family, uh, knew the kids. Uh, they went to the funeral and obviously it was incredibly, incredibly sad uh, funeral uh, with, with all sorts of emotion and that. But uh, Dan reflected and, and he just sort of said, look, you know, it was very sad, but lots of people were asking all sorts of questions. Like we had some amazing conversations as people were wrestling with why and wrestling with their mortality and, and what's the meaning of life? If this stuff happens, what's the point? What's the purpose? Now, I start with this, and I'm sorry if this is a, a shocking and, and sobering um, for you to sort of uh, see something like that, um, but it, fun blowing the trumpets, uh, as we have done, but... Uh, I think we've, we heard, this is an incredibly sobering reading, isn't it? Um, this is the stuff of car crashes and, 
and, uh, and hurricanes in Haiti. This is, this is hard stuff. But this is how God says the living are to process such tragedies. So when we see or hear uh, of such deaths, such tragedies like this, um, it's for our benefit. Um, the purpose of these seven trumpets in Revelation 8 uh, are warnings. Now with the seven seals last week, we saw some sure things about God. There was a reminder uh, for hard-pressed Christians that they are sealed and they're safe. To be a Christian, to be sealed by the Holy Spirit, is you're, you're safe. You're guaranteed that you're going to be in heaven with Jesus. We also just spent a few minutes looking at this diagram, so... Um, just to re- refresh us, or if this is new to you, just to remind us that the way to understand the book of Revelation is it's about one history um, between Jesus' first and second comings, which is what those two vertical lines are, one history, but it's repeated in cycles um, from different vantage points. So the book of Revelation Um, is not chronological, it's not sort of some magical timeline. But we're to read these cycles in parallel. Revelation is God visually disclosing the ramifications of Jesus' cross, his resurrection and his rule. Uh, That picture of different coloured pancakes, for those who uh, are foodies, it's those sort of cycles, each cycle of seven is a bit like another pancake, um, sitting us in a different, uh, different seat, giving us a different flavour of the character of history, of how to understand what God is doing in the world between Jesus' first and second coming. Now last week we were sitting um, with, with the suffering church, but this week what we're doing is we're actually sitting um, with unbelievers. We're actually... God puts us in the seat and helps us to understand, well, how should an unbelieving world see and understand what God is doing in the world? And that explains the trumpets. And you think, well, why trumpets? Trumpets appear in the Bible. So, for example, a key place that trumpets occur is in Joshua chapter 6, where you've got Israel just crossed over uh, into the Promised Land. And God tells Moses to pick seven priests, give them a trumpet each. And for six days... Uh, all of Israel was to march around the city blowing their trumpets. And then on the seventh day, uh, they're to march around the city seven times blowing their trumpets continuously. Seven priests, seven trumpets, seven days around a pagan city, a city full of unbelievers blowing their trumpets. What are they doing? Warning the people in the city that the day of their destruction is coming. Come out of the city while you can. Come out of the city, like Rahab did, and join with God's people. These seven trumpets of God's judgments, they're part of God's unrelenting grace. God's unrelenting grace to wake up and warn unbelievers, to save themselves, to run to God, to join his people while they can. The six trumpets... uh, of unrelenting grace to an unbelieving world, those first five verses of chapter 8, just have a look with me, just a couple of quick observations. Again, just to remind us um, this, the, the silence of the seventh seal in heaven. It's a bit like a, a bridge introducing the seven, seven trumpets, um, silence for half an hour, and um, the idea of silence is to signal the arrival of God and his judgment. It's, it's, it's 
it's happening. So, for example, I've just got a couple of scriptures here from the Old Testament again. Thanks, Centine. So, from uh, Zechariah, we read, Be silent, all flesh, before the Lord, for he's roused himself from his holy dwelling. Or again from Zephaniah, Be silent before the Lord, for the day of the Lord is near. He's coming to judge. Um, That's the first thing. The silence, God is coming, he's, he's there. The second observation from the opening verses of chapter 8. Notice that the seven angels are standing before God, uh, standing before God's throne. Um, that is, uh, the seven angels with the trumpets are sent out with all the authority and power of God uh, to um, implement the plan of God. Okay, so uh, this, is, this is God at work in history. Third observation, that we're told of the prayers of Christians, dead and living, sort of go up with the incense of the, of the angel to God, to God's throne. And it, it seems we'd understand that these trumpets, these judgments that are about to happen, they're part of God's response to the prayers of Christians. It's just a beautiful reminder that our prayers do not fall on dead ears. When men and women and, 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 and children and, and teenagers, when we pray, God acts. God acts. Fourth brief observation uh, is we notice here, and we'll hear at the end of the second reading in chapter 11, that at the beginning and the end of these trumpets, um, all, uh, all creation uh, rumbles with thunder and lightning and, and an earthquake. Uh, and it's just a reminder that uh, everywhere in the Bible where God turns up, uh, where, the, where the awe and the glory, the splendour of God comes down, um, that's pretty much the standard response of creation. Uh, earthquakes, lightning, you know, rumbling, trembling. Uh, you see it uh, at Mount Sinai um, there with Moses. And it's just a reminder that as we continue to work our, out our own faith here tonight, we should do it with the right awe. And reverence of God. God is holy. He is awesome in his splendor and his majesty. So as we dip in and just look at chapter 8 and consider these first four trumpets, I wonder what you heard. I wonder if there was sort of a a familiarity there to us. Just have a look at this table and you'll see So they've got the first four trumpets. Sorry, it's a little bit bit blurry there. Um, But we've got the hail and the fire on the earth, the blood and the sea, You've got the bitter water in the, in the freshwater springs and rivers and then you've got, you've got the darkness um, in the sky and the heavens. Notice how three of those four plagues here in chapter 8 um, are very similar to uh, plagues that have already occurred back in Exodus with Moses. Okay, So um, it's just a reminder that the way to read our Bibles, the way to read and understand this book, Revelation, um, is with the Old Testament. The Old Testament is our key. Our revelation is actually not disclosing um, uh, new sort of revelation in that sense in as much as it is helping us to understand the significance of Jesus' cross in light of the Old Testament. What does that mean for, for history now? So the first trumpet, uh, the plague of hail and fire, the seventh plague on Egypt in Exodus. The second, uh, you've got the plague of blood and the sea, as I've said, uh, with the first plague in Egypt. Um, the third trumpet is the plague of bitter water, um, and there certainly are times of bitter water out in um, 
when Israel are out in the desert. The fourth trumpet uh, is the plague of darkness, which is the ninth plague on Egypt in Exodus. And what's interesting is these four plagues strike the four major regions of creation, dry land, sea, fresh water and sky. And it was, it was very similar. We saw this with the seals, didn't we? Um, the, the whole earth groaning in all sorts of ways while we await the return of Jesus. But with these trumpets, did you notice that we were repeatedly told that only a third of humanity, only a, a third of creation is affected? That is God's judgments. They are restrained. Now, what we're going to see when we look at the seven bowls, the seven bowls, which is a, another cycle of seven judgments later, we'll actually see that um, we're told explicitly that you know, all the land, all the sea, um, it's not bitter drinking water, it's drinking blood, you know, it's all the sun, all the cosmos is affected. And so as we get further into Revelation, um, the severity of God's judgments increases. But for now, what we see, both human beings and the natural world experiencing all sorts of restrained judgments. And just simply, this is God giving humanity the chance, the time to turn to him, to repent, uh, to be saved from the coming destruction when that seventh trumpet sounds. And of course, this um, we've, we've seen in history, and, and sadly, despite um, the plagues and the warnings in Egypt, that Pharaoh and the Egyptians, they didn't repent. They didn't join with God's people. In fact, they hardened their heart. And, and we see that time and again in the history of Scripture. But the point here is the way to understand these judgments, the way to understand God's justice is always as an expression of his love, his unrelenting grace as he chases after people trying to get their attention and get them to turn to him. And God's message hasn't changed. So um, what did, um, with what words did Jesus begin his public ministry? Uh, so finish this, this is not rhetorical, finish this off. I know, I know you can do it. I've got confidence in you. You ready? Um, so Jesus, we're told that Jesus began his public ministry with these words. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. I, I just can't hear you guys. Sorry. Just... What, what did Jesus say? I know you know. Repent and believe the good news. Repent and believe in the gospel. Uh, that is, that, that's been God's standard message. Um, very consistent. Repent and believe. Trust in God's word. So um, if you're not familiar with actually those words, Mark chapter 1, verse 14 and 15, write it down, look it up, memorise it for next time. But anyway, so... Uh, You've got to ask, where's the blessing uh, for believers uh, then? So if we're sitting with unbelievers, okay, they need to turn back and believe, okay, but what about us? You know, we're here. Perhaps you're thinking, well, okay, you know, I've already done this. I've already done this. Where's the blessing for us? Well, we know that these, these trumpets of natural disasters and personal tragedies, we know, the Bible tells us, that they aren't just to get the attention of pagan unbelievers outside the church but they're given by a merciful God to warn and wake up any people in church who are straying or um, 
they've slid into a spiritual slumber, tolerating sin in your life, you've lost your first love uh, for Jesus, um, you know, you, you really need a hot nor cold for Jesus. Um, that is, these trumpets are for people sitting in local churches here. Welcome, guys. Come in, sit down. We're at the end of the Bible. Blast from the past. Good to see you. We're on page 1,220. 1,220, guys, looking at the chapter 8 and 9 of Revelation. So... Um, so these trumpets are actually uh, for us as well, uh, to warn us. Now, you think, well, hang on, how can you say this, John? You know, show me from the Bible. Okay, uh, this is from Ezekiel, okay? Um, so here is God um, speaking to his Old Testament people, Israel. If a watchman sees the sword of God's judgment coming upon the land and blows the trumpet and warns the people, then if anyone who hears the sound of the trumpet does not take warning and the sword comes and takes him away, his blood shall be upon his own head. I'm sorry, the picture covers up those last words, but his blood shall be on his own head. Very plain reading. Um, and, and again, you've got this idea of trumpet sounding a warning. Um, you don't heed the warning, your blood is on your own head. That is, you're responsible. Now, as we heard, God's grace, it's unrelenting. Um, and we come into chapter 9, and uh, I, I reckon a good way to understand chapter 9 is um, pick your favourite sport or whatever it is, you're deep into the last quarter or last half, um, and you're in your last time out, uh, and you know it's the grand finale. It's really time to up the ante. The coach speaks urgently, laying it all on the line. He might even be getting quite personal, like naming people. You know, need need more of an effort here. Um, and that's what God is doing in chapter eight, verse thirteen. Chapter eight, verse thirteen. As I watched, I heard an eagle that was flying in midair call out in a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth because of the trumpet blast about to be sounded by the other three angels. That is, these last three trumpets, they're a whole lot more uh, severe. Um, just have a look at those opening verses of chapter 9 again. And you can just hear it. You can hear how God ups the ante. And the fifth angel blew his trumpet. And I saw a star that had fallen from the sky to the earth. The star was given the key to the shaft of the abyss. When he opened the abyss, smoke rose from it like the smoke from a gigantic furnace. The sun and sky were darkened by the smoke from the abyss. And out of the smoke, locusts came down upon the earth and were given power like that of scorpions of the earth. They were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any plant or tree but only those people who did not have the seal of God on their foreheads. They were not given power to kill them, but only to torture them for five months. And the agony they suffered was like that of the sting of a scorpion when it strikes a man. During these days, men will seek death, but will not find it. They will long to die, but death will elude them. So you can just, you just feel, can't you, how the stakes have been raised. Um, and what do we hear? Well, just like um, those last plagues in Pharaoh and on Egypt, uh, so these last three plagues we heard actually discriminate between the righteous and the wicked. 
And so just briefly, uh, here, this supernatural locust plague. Uh, it's like the eighth plague in Exodus. It's like um, uh, the real plague of locusts uh, that Israel experienced in Joel chapter 2. Uh, the point of this locust plague is to warn uh, there's a more serious judgment coming. Uh, th- this is sort of no normal locust plague, is it? I mean, these locusts hurt people, not crops, and locusts don't do that. Um, they come up from below. Uh, they terrorise only for five months. So it's the idea that their time is limited and that only the wicked are attacked by these locusts and not Christians. It reminds us that although um, as, as believers we live in the same world as everyone else, we suffer the same ailments, our bodies age, um, you know, yet we, 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 um, we experience the same things. But I think what the point is being made here is that to be a Christian, to be a believer is to be safe from the power of Satan, safe from his foes and the principles and powers that are against God. Because you've got the Holy Spirit, you've got God's seal upon you. And so you're safe, unlike unbelievers who are not safe and are all Satan wants to do. With, with people, of course, is to see them live and die without God and spend eternity in hell with him. And, and this message, it, it just seems to confirm uh, what we sort of just, you sort of, you might not be conscious of this, but we see it every day. You see people making choices and experiencing the consequences of those choices. You know, um, whether it's driving at 160 kilometres an hour or deciding that, look, oh, I'm going to start sort of cheating on my taxes and you get caught. Um, or, or, you know, people who uh, choose to sort of sleep around with lots of different sexual partners and they might end up with uh, disease or something else. Um, or you just, you just see people living and choosing to live a godless lifestyle and it opens them up to the consequences of their choices. And this passage seems to be saying that it opens them up to the destructive powers and forces of Satan um, to, to destroy them, to destroy relationships, to see them sad and lonely and dying without God. Well, the sixth trumpet we heard was of a, a great military sort of cosmic war. Um, we're told that you know, this is war coming out of the Euphrates, which is where um, Babylon was. It represents Babylon. Now in the Bible and in Revelation, Babylon, if you like, is the symbolic city of, of anti-God hostility. It's the city of evil. Um, we know that you know, all war is contrary to, to God's purposes. War is a consequence of uh, our rebellion against God, our failure to love God and love our neighbour. But nevertheless... Uh, In a fallen world where sin is real, God uses war to achieve his purposes. He even uses war to warn people uh, that they need to repent and turn back to him. And here is war um, where we heard some people, not all people, will perish. Again, as a warning to the living um, to turn things around while they still can. Now, just as we pause here at the end of chapter 9, I wonder if you picked up the really, really sad reality. We've had, we've had six trumpets. 
Uh, there's, there's six judgments, if you like, going on in the world, in different generations, in different places, uh, some incredibly severe. Um, there's no doubt there's a, there's a sort of a future aspect to some of these judgments as well. But what do we read there at the end of chapter 9? I mean, it's really, really sad. The rest of humanity that were not killed by these plagues still did not repent. They still wanted to carry on and live life without God, worship things that are not God. Um, They did not repent of their murders, their magic hearts, their sexual immorality, their thefts. It's a picture of just how hard-hearted people are. Uh, that despite all the warnings, uh, humanity lives like you know millions and millions of little pharaohs running around just refusing, shaking their fist at God. There is no way. There is no way. All these past and present and future judgments occurring in our world, they're, again, expression of God's relentless grace to get people's attention, trying to bring people to their senses, uh, trying um, you know, to wake up, slumbering people here tonight, uh, sinning Christians here tonight. And it brings me to, just to say as we, uh, as we come to pause, I would not be a loving and responsible watchman if I didn't ask you this evening that the Jesus we've met here tonight, we're meeting here in Revelation, does this Jesus have your full attention? Does he have our undivided love and loyalty? As we think about that, I want to invite us all to stand now, stretch our legs. It's sort of a half-time break. We're going to stand. We're going to uh, say this prayer together. It's a prayer where we get to um, confess our sins. And then straight after that, we're going to sing a song that is all about God's grace, God's sure forgiveness in Jesus before we get into the second half. So please pray, pray this prayer with me. Almighty God, loving Heavenly Father, Your dominion is an everlasting dominion. Your kingdom endures from generation to generation. To you belong all wisdom, power and glory. You know the secret thoughts of our hearts. Forgive us for our failure to love you as the one true and living God. Forgive us in our failure to love our neighbour as you've loved us. By the power of your grace, renew and transform us. Teach us to number our days and live for your kingdom and glory. In Jesus' precious and powerful name we pray. Amen. Got a knock health and safety problem here. <laughs> so, uh, sorry, you're reading a bit of a picture Bible there, Tim, I see. Got your picture Bible out, mate? Yeah? Good to see Bible college is good for some. Rightio. Um, now, in his excellent little book that I want to... I've actually lifted it, listed this in the Bible studies to grab hold of. Uh, it's called The Lamb Wins by Richard Buse. He's an English pastor, retired now. Um, anyway, he alludes to this uh, event that happened in history. We've got a photo. Rightio. Oh, that's a bit hard to see, isn't it? Um... That sun is just in a bad place. Rightio. Um, I'll just tell you what it is. This is uh, someone this morning thought this was in Tasmania. It's actually in Sweden. Um, 
the year is 1980, uh, the decade when all great music was written, and what you've got here is that it's Jean Bridge, and where the, where the, unfortunately where the sun is, it's a big tanker. Oh, beautiful, look at that. So you can see the big ship, the big tanker. Now what's happened there in, in the middle of the night? Um, that's a really clever little thing, isn't it? In the middle of the night, um, that tanker, you know, merrily going up, uh, the Sean River and it's knocked out the main pylon of the bridge it literally knocked out half the bridge and uh, why I, this has actually been made into a, a documentary movie uh, why I start this second talk like this is because that night the people on that, that tanker who were safe um, they weren't harmed uh, they were very distressed over the next 30 to 40 minutes as they watched car after car drive off the end of that bridge to their destruction. Had no idea that this bridge that they, uh, they got on, they thought would take them safely to the other side, um, was actually leading them to their destruction. Now, I'll start like this again just to sort of, um, it's a little bit confronting because it illustrates, I think, uh, some of the pain that perhaps some of us already are perhaps too familiar with. As we watched, as we watch loved ones trying to find life and meaning without God, it's it's like they're uh, they're sort of made this choice to go onto this bridge that they think is going to, you know, just take them to some nice place on the other side at the end of life. But it's uh, the Bible tells us it's it, it's all going to end up horribly, and this is despite our prayers. Despite our, our invitations to please come and, you know, consider Jesus, come to church, come to carols, come to a life course, uh, please will you, you know, look, read a gospel uh, with me. And I want to suggest that if, if you're here tonight, if you're a, uh, a, a genuine Christian, this, if it isn't yet, this will be the most painful thing you ever watch happen in life. <coughs> And that's what these last two chapters are all about. It, it raises the question for us, like what's, what's the role we're to play then? If, if this is the, the state of unbelievers, it's like they're living life merrily, merrily, only to drive off the end of a, a bridge to their destruction. Well, it brings us to that second point, which I've called empowering grace for an evangelising church. Empowering grace for an evangelising church. Uh, remember, I've said that each of the seven cycles, each of the each of the pancakes, um, they always before the last seal, before the last trumpet blows, there's an intermission. It's like we're getting to the end of the movie, and suddenly Jesus stands up and flicks the lights on and says, "Oh, intermission, guys. Okay, time for a break." Just want to remind you again that if you're a Christian, you're safe. You're saved. You're going to be in heaven with me, okay? Just want to remind you again before we sort of play the end of this movie. Now, that's sort of really what's going on here in this book of Revelation. And we've got two scenes here, chapter 10 and chapter 11, and they're really teaching us the same thing. See, I wonder what you heard there um, in chapter 10. Just open your Bibles up. We're on page 1,222. I've called it a little scroll and seven thunders uh, to John. Now, John is the Apostle John, remember? Uh, he's been exiled uh, by the Roman Empire to a little island called Patmos. It's a, it's a Roman colony. Um, John's old. He's, he dies there. Uh, he's lost his freedom. 
And what do we see here at the start of chapter 10? What does John see? Um, John sees the most amazing Megazord-like angel that you're ever going to see. Now, we know what, everyone knows what a Megazord is, Power Rangers. You know, it's just this, this big, amazing, powerful Power Ranger. You've got to go, just go watch Power Rangers. New movie coming out next year. Okay, um, just talk to Aaron. But this, this, this angel is just massive. Massive, impressive, uh, a loud voice. Um, got a rainbow sort of around it, reminding us, uh, of course, God's covenant faithfulness. You know, the promise he made to, uh, to Noah. Uh, just a reminder that uh, what I'm saying, you can trust God. Uh, this angel is, is, is so huge, it's got one foot in the land and one foot in the sea. That is, what this angel, his message concerns all of creation. Uh, this thundering voice, I mean loud voice, uh, it reveals the seven thunders, but only to John, we're told, only to John. Before he gets to write down what they mean, he's told to seal up the meaning. And it's just a reminder that while there is much about God's purposes of grace that are revealed to us, we are meant to know, there is much that we're not. And I wonder if it's just a warning to us and a warning to people who want to sort of construct the most intricate timelines and you know, get the dates exactly right of you know, when Jesus is going to return. We, we don't know everything. We're not meant to. But what we do know is enough to help us endure patiently and faithfully and live great lives for Jesus. John receives this personal reassurance for him. Um, that when the seventh trumpet does sound, there'll be no delay when Jesus returns. It, it's going to happen suddenly and quickly. And so John is commanded by the voice from heaven to take and eat the little scroll in a, in a manner that's similar to what Ezekiel was commanded to do way back at the start of his call and commissioning. You can read about it in chapters 2 and 3 in the book of Ezekiel. And he, he eats this, this little scroll... Okay, this is all part of his vision. Uh, it's sweet in the mouth and it's bitter going down. So he's, just, he's got every sense engaged, you know, visual, he's hearing trumpets, he's smelling incense and now he's tasting the bitter sweetness of God's word. Of course, the sweetness of God's word is the sweetness of God's grace, the sweetness of God's forgiveness, isn't it? And the bitterness in his stomach now, I think it communicates two things. It's the bitterness of, of suffering that is unique to Christians in this world um, as we hold out a message that, yes, it's a, it's a message of grace, but it's a message of warning and woe. Repent before it's too late. It's a double-edged sword. God's word is always a double-edged sword, bitter and sweet. Jesus, the judge, he's the saviour. Jesus the Saviour, he's the judge. And so just again a little bit of food for thought before we um, get into chapter 11. Uh, I suspect there are some here who already know just how, how sweet and satisfying it is um, to have said yes to Jesus. Uh, but also how sweet and satisfying it is where you've had the privilege of being God's mouthpiece. You've held out you know, the gospel to someone, you've read the Bible with them, you've, you've persevered, and you've, 
you've experienced that sweet joy of watching them become a Christian, receive Jesus as their personal Lord and Saviour. There's nothing sweeter in life. But yet, some of us probably know the bitter tears uh, that um, the same gospel, it, it tears us up as well. When people ignore it or, or laugh it off or, or just reject our invites, that's bitter, that's just really hard. Uh, and then there's the double bitterness. When you've been trying to uh, lovingly sort of uh, share Jesus with, with a friend or a family member, and it's cost you a relationship, haven't just rejected Jesus, they've rejected you. That's double bitterness, isn't it? I, I think chapter 10 is here, even though it's, it's a private revelation from Jesus to John, it's for him. Because the Apostle John, he's, he's an example to us, an example of actually how to persevere, how to sort of keep going when, when it gets really tough, when you're lonely, you've been abandoned, you've been put you know, on this island to die. Um, you've lost your freedom. It sh- shows us, he's a model there to, to imitate, how to keep going, how to keep prophesying, how to keep courageously standing up for Jesus and sharing Jesus with others. And that brings us to the two witnesses in chapter 11. Um, we can't look at everything in this chapter, but just a couple of things. Um, I think, again, it's, it's, it's the risen Jesus uh, giving his church on earth the same Message. I've just summarised the chapter under three headings. Uh, the first, uh, a world squeezing, but uh, the church is safe. And uh, John's commanded to rise and measure the temple of God and the altar, uh, those who worship there. So measure inside the temple. Don't measure outside in the temple courts with the Gentiles because they're going to trample God's holy city for 42 months. Now, measuring only the sanctuary in the temple, that actually takes us to Ezekiel chapter 42, Ezekiel chapter 42. And in that chapter, we see that only genuine believers are numbered. That is, the insiders are safe. If you're a Christian, you're safe, you're inside, you're numbered. God knows you. As Jesus teaches in John chapter 10, my sheep hear my voice. They know me and I know them. Nothing can snatch them out of my hands. However, the outer courts... The nations in the outer courts, they're vulnerable. Um, Trampled by the very nations that Jesus died for, the very nations we're sort of trying to sort of share Jesus with, they end up harassing and hammering God's people. See, on the one hand, um, Christians, uh, the church is saved and safe, but there are casualties, there's suffering, there's martyrdoms. We're in a spiritual war. Um, But there's a limited time of distress 42 months, that's three and a half years, 42 months, uh, 1260 days. And of course, it's all symbolic. It's all symbolic that um, the suffering that we're experiencing at the time of our witness, it's limited, it's fixed. We don't know when Jesus is coming back, but it's symbolic that it's not going to go on as long as we think it will. Now that brings us to the second uh, heading in this chapter, um, witnesses speaking, church spreading, witnesses speaking, church spreading. Um, you've got the two witnesses, the shutting up of the sky, the plagues on the earth, 1260 days, etc. Now just remember, the Bible interprets itself. The Bible interprets itself. And I've got a, we've got a clue here in verse 6. Have a look at verse 6 of chapter 11. These men have power to shut up the sky so that it will not rain during the time they are prophesying. 
and they have power to turn the waters into blood and to strike the earth with every kind of plague as often as they want. Uh, now we've already um, reminded of Moses and, and his uh, power to obviously with, with the plagues in Egypt. Um, it was through Moses that God gave the law. God saved Israel. Um, the other great prophet in the Old Testament, of course, is Elijah. Elijah in 1 Kings 17. Uh, Elijah is given the authority to shut up the sky. He prays and the sky is shut up for three and a half years. Three and a half years. And so who are the two witnesses? Well, they're the law and the prophets, Moses and Elijah. Uh, two witnesses symbolising, symbolising God's mission and outreach of the church. As I've said, 1260 days equals 42 months. Um, it's three and a half years. That's the time the world is squeezing um, where we've got to keep witnessing. And as I've said, um, and James actually writes to Christians who are harassed. So James writes to harass Christians in chapter 5 of James. Chapter 5, verse 17, we read this. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. He prayed fervently that it might not rain, and for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. Um, that is, Elijah's period out in the wilderness was one of great opposition, a time uh, when the leaders uh, were really against God and against his prophets, but also most of the people of God had abandoned God as well. It was a lonely time. Elijah was harassed. There was only a small group of faithful Christians remaining. They looked weak. They looked beaten. Yet here's Elijah continuing to pray to God, standing God's word, uh, speaking God's word to others. Um, And the risen Jesus, he's pointing harassed Christians. He's he's pointing us back to this time uh, in Elijah's life, this season of suffering and brave witnessing. Because it's how local churches had to go about it. How do we understand the times we're in? Um, Yeah, we feel and look like the minority. We feel weak and vulnerable. But um, we're not. We're spreading. We're spreading. We've got to keep bravely inviting and sharing and witnessing. And just like Elijah prayed and God heard and answered his prayers, God hears and answers the prayers of his people. The world might be squeezing, but Jesus' church is safe. As ordinary Christians keep witnessing, Jesus' church is spreading. We can be confident of that. Brings us to that last point, um, looking dead but rising to victory. Looking dead but rising to victory. We're told that when they finish their testimony, the beast that rises from the bottomless pit is going to make war on them, is going to conquer them, kill them. Dead bodies will lie in the street of the great city. Symbolically, this is called Sodom and Egypt, where their Lord was crucified. Again, a short time, three and a half days, um, it's, it's going to be a short time when the church just looks utterly decimated. It looks dead. Um, wickedness looks like it's won the day. Um, you know, people's conscience is no, going to be, not, no longer going to be troubled by Christian witnesses. They're going to be celebrating in the streets. Yay, the church is dead. Okay, now there's a future aspect to all of this, but I think you see in history glimpses when this has actually happened. So with the rise of communism in Russia and China, the church looked dead. Communists thought, yay, finally. You know, but what, are we, what, have we, what have we found? You know, the underground church grew and spread exponentially um, right under their noses. We've got atheists and their slogans on the side of buses. You know, God is dead, you know. Um, but it looks dead, but it's spreading, it's growing. 
Now, more about the beast in coming weeks, but Revelation reveals that God and the Lamb is on his throne. You look at Jesus' cross, he looked down and out, and he was, and everyone thought they'd won. Finally, yay, Jesus is dead. Whoa, three days later, empty tomb. Jesus starts appearing, you see. God always has the last word. God always has the last word. And, and we're told here, aren't we, at the, at the end of chapter 11, after three and a half days of this severe per, you know, persecution, you've got the breath of life from God, enters into believers, they stood up on their feet, so it's a picture of the resurrection. Great fear fell on those who saw this. They heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, come up here, they went up there on a cloud, their enemies watched them. God's, God's going to have the last word. When Jesus comes back, everyone will see, unbelievers will see, who the sons and daughters of God are. God will triumph, goodness will triumph. So certain is the outcome that John uses past tense language to write this chapter. Past tense. It's as if it's already happened. It's such a sure thing. And so finally, finally, we come to the seventh trumpet. There. And what do we read? Now, look, I'm going to take pity on you guys. All right. Last chance to really let it rip, okay? Like your best warning, urgent trumpet, okay? This is, okay, here we go. You ready? No, hang on. All right. The seventh angel sounded his trumpet. Ah, okay, all right. Okay. Um, No, I give up. I give up on the trumpets. All right. Um, But verse 15, sounded his trumpet. And it's just, it's, it's a trumpet, isn't it? Signaling the end. There were loud voices in heaven which said, loud voices in heaven, which said, have a look behind me. Invite, if you want to be one of these loud voices in heaven on that day, how about we say this together? The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Amen. And then, friends, that's how it's going to end. That is how it's going to end. So will any and all who live and die trusting in Jesus going to be part of this kingdom, be part of this end? Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we do give thanks uh, for these chapters in Revelation. Look, there's a lot of stuff in here that um, we don't understand at first glance, but, uh, Father, we can see and understand Uh, that you're in charge of history, you control history, that um, there are judgments going on all the time and you are restraining those judgments because such is your love and your grace. You want to give all of the living an opportunity to come to their senses and turn to God. Father, if there are any of us here tonight who have just been um, treating you poorly, tolerating sin in our lives and, and have just, well lost our love for you, we just pray that you would just mercifully draw us to yourself, bring us to our senses, turn us back to you, turn our hearts back to you. Uh, Father, we just pray that you would give us great courage to keep praying to you, that you hear and answer our prayers. Uh, Father, as we pray, please answer our prayers, that we might have the courage to keep believing, the courage to keep standing up for Jesus, the courage to keep standing out for Jesus and the courage to keep speaking. Father, we pray this because you love this world, and we know that because you've so loved us. We're so undeserving of your love. 
So may we overflow in thankfulness as we continue to share the joy, the confidence, the certainty, the assurance that we have in Jesus because of his death for us. Father, just help us to keep clinging to the cross, the truth of your cross, all that you've won there for us. Help us, we pray, just to be that people who just want to make your name great. In Jesus' name, amen.